Has anybody ever called you out? Now, usually when we think about being called out, it's for something probably pretty negative. Now, if you've been around me at all, you know that I am loud. Believe me, I've always been loud my entire life. And there have been times, man, when I was growing up in school, many times when I was called out by a teacher in the middle of class. Moss Holder, you are so loud. Being called out can be a bit embarrassing. You know, but that there's other times as well when being called out, well, can be a little bit amazing. I remember one time in high school, I had a, a teacher stop the class, look at me in the eye and say, Moss Holder, you should be a preacher. You have the voice for it. I thought that was pretty cool, and it was a lot better than being told I was just loud. But did you know that you have been called out by God? In fact, the church is, is a community that's filled with called out people. Now, not everyone in the church is fully walking in their calling yet, but I want you to listen to these words by, that were written by Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers. And, and I believe that you're going to hear the voice of God for you in his words. It was written and captured in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And this is what Peter said. He said, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out. Did you hear that? He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now I hope you heard those words and that they will sink into your soul. You have been chosen by God. You have been called out by him to be his very own. Now, you may be wondering, why would God call me out? If he really knew me, well, he'd probably leave me on the bench and would never have ever chosen me. And we can all feel this way at times because we know who we really are, right? All the nasty bits, um, you know, all the pages that we wish we could rip from the story of our lives. But what we'll discover today in, uh, in the Bible, in Acts chapter 9, I believe that this is going to give you great hope about God calling you out. It's here in Acts chapter 9 that we find one of the most amazing stories in the entire New Testament, maybe in all of the Bible. It's the story of two men being called out by God. Now, both of them were shocked when this happened. But how they responded has literally shaped history. Now, the first of these guys, his name was Saul. And he hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus' church when he was called out by God. Now, here's how the story starts, right before God shows up in the story. And we start right at uh, Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Meanwhile, 
Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Wow, not, not a pretty story. So who was this guy named Saul? Well, we were introduced to him in the previous chapters. If you go back and read chapters 7 and 8 of Acts, you're going you're gonna to find uh, that's where we learn about Saul for the first time. Now, the tide had just turned in those chapters against the church. And we learn that Stephen, one of the church leaders, was actually killed for his faith and that Saul was there at his murder, approving of this killing. Then it goes on to say um, in, in Acts chapter 8 that Saul had begun actively working to destroy the church. Really, I mean, going from house to house to throw believers into prison. And now here he is, not just being satisfied with destroying the church in Jerusalem. Now he's on his way to Damascus to do the same thing there. Saul was a bad guy. Every way you look at his life, he's hating Jesus, persecuting those who followed Jesus, and basically doing everything that he could to destroy the church. But God saw something in Saul's life that no one else did. Well, I wouldn't have. So let's keep reading in Acts 9, picking up in verse 3, and let's see what happens. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, and remember, this is the mission to destroy the church, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they, they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I mean, this call um, on Saul's life was so significant. Now, we're going to read what happens next in, in a few moments but his entire life is turned upside down by this event. Or it's probably more accurate to say that his life was turned right side up. Because after Saul, this incredibly bad dude, was called out by God, everything changed. He went from being a hater of Jesus to becoming one of the most passionate, hardworking servants of Jesus that the world has ever seen. Now, I don't know if you recognize this name, Saul, but you may recognize this man by the new name that God gives him 
after he'd been called out. It was Saul who became the Apostle Paul. And it was Paul, this radical missionary mentor and evangelist who went on to begin many of the new churches that we read about throughout the New Testament. And it was Paul who wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament, maybe Hebrews too. But other than Jesus himself, no one person more than Paul has shaped the world for Christ or given us a deeper understanding of what it means to be followers of Jesus and to be the church. But when Jesus called him out, Saul wasn't the apostle Paul, man of faith and power. He was a Saul, a stinking, hate-filled soul. And you know what? That actually gives me hope. You see, God doesn't just call out those whose lives are beautiful and strong and perfect and pure. He calls out people just like you and me, whose lives are at times a hot mess of sin and brokenness. I'm reminded of the words of Peter found in 2 Peter 3, 9, where he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, we might assume that God wants to simply condemn bad people to hell, people like Saul. But friend, that is not true. In fact, if someone has told you that God just wants to condemn people to hell, guess what? You've been lied to. Because what we find over and over again in scripture is just what we read here. That God doesn't want anyone to perish. God didn't want Saul to perish. God doesn't want anyone to die outside of repentance and this full force relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly what Saul discovers here in Acts chapter 9. While he's on his way to persecute and imprison believers. Now, you may have noticed that the first thing Jesus does in this short conversation that he has with Saul, he asks him a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you've read the Gospels before, the first four books in the New Testament, where we read about the life and the work of Jesus, you may have noticed that Jesus loves to ask questions. But you can be sure of this. When Jesus asks a question, he's never looking for information. What he's doing through his questions is leading us to discover who we really are and who he really is. This led John Calvin way back in 1530 to write this. And John Calvin was an amazing pastor and leader in, in the body of Christ um, that shaped the church as, even as it is today. And John Calvin wrote this. He says, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. 
But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the, which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. In other words, we have to know God to truly know ourselves. And we have to know ourselves to truly know God. Listen, how could we ever invite God into our lives if we're lying to ourselves about who we really are? You know, it's like, hey, Jesus, come into my life, but you know, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty clean. Um, you don't really have to do much work here. Now we have to really be honest about who we are so that we can really come to know the fullness of who God really is. So Jesus uses questions to help us to discover what's really true, both about God and about us. In fact, in the Gospels, we read that Jesus asks over 100 questions that were all hard-hitting, on point, and would, will lead to great discovery, not just for the people that he asked uh, those questions to, but for us as well, for all who will let his questions sink in. Now, here's a handful of these questions that Jesus asked. I want to say, if you're watching uh, this video right now, why don't you take a moment and pause the video after these questions and share the one that speaks the most to you? Here are some questions from Jesus. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? Who do you say that I am? What do you want me to do for you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Have I not chosen you? And here's the last one. Do you love me? Which one of these questions might Jesus be using right now to call you out? See, that's just what Jesus did with Saul. So don't be surprised if he does that with you. And this is absolutely part of my story as well. When I was 19 years old, God used my pastor to pose a couple of questions that Jesus used to call me out. My pastor first asked this question. He said, what if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years. I had never considered that. I had assumed, like most people have for the past couple thousand years, that Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. So this question rocked me. I mean, what would the world be like in a few hundred years? You know, will people still be following Jesus? Will there even be a church left in hundreds of years? Will there still be billions of people, even entire people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus? But then my pastor asked a follow-up question. He asked, how could you live your life to make a difference for Jesus? 
Now, I've shared this story before, but for the following week, I could not shake those questions. They led me to discover more about myself and about God than anything I had ever encountered before that time. And by the end of that next week, I knew I had been called out by God. So God will use questions to stir deep things in our lives, just like he did with Saul when he blinded him with light and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Saul found out something as the story goes on that Jesus doesn't only ask questions. He also gives some pretty strong directions. And here in Acts 9, that's just what Jesus does with Saul. He tells him, go into the city. But I want to share something with you that I, I've come to find that when God gives direction, there's almost always a promise attached. You know what I mean? It's like when Jesus gives the direction, don't worry, right? It's a, don't worry, but he immediately follows it up with a promise. Like, listen to this, this direction and promise that's attached to it. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Direction, don't worry, but the promise. And if you live for God, if you live for his kingdom, he's going to supply all that we need because, well, he knows what we need. There's the promise, direction and promise. And when Jesus gives Saul the direction, go into the city, God immediately follows it up with this promise. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Did you catch that promise? It's like Jesus saying, Saul, I'm going to meet you there in the city. I'm not snuffing out your life like you think I am. I actually have work for you to do. I mean, can you imagine the hope that, that came to life in Saul at that moment? Because he no doubt thought that his life was over, right? I mean, blinding light, Jesus, the one I've been persecuting, he rose from the dead and he's now talking to me. My life is now over. But then Saul realizes, God didn't come to take my life. He's like redeeming me. He's sending me on mission. He's telling me to go into the city and there's going to be more instruction for me there. See, the promise of God always brings hope. Now, while the outcome of the struggle that I'm in is uncertain. What God has promised is certain. So I can have hope and press on even in the middle of a struggle. And that's what happens with Saul. Now, when Jesus gives us direction, 
always, friends, listen for the promise attached. Now, we get to the rest of the story, and here we get to meet the second man that God called out. We pick up in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. And it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized. I mean, God, don't you know this? He's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, Ananias got a couple of major lessons that day. First, God can call out anyone he likes, and they may not be the ones we think uh, that he should have put on his call-out list. But listen, I think it helps to remember, all of us have been called out of something. Now, we probably weren't called out of persecuting Christians like Saul was, but we were all called out of something. Greed, pride, hatred, lust, or something equally as ugly. Now, as we remember that, it should inspire great amounts of grace for others who God is calling out from their place of darkness, right? We had our own place of darkness that he called us out of. God is going to call out others, so don't be surprised when he does. So lesson number one, don't be surprised at who God is calling out. But the second lesson that Ananias learned that day is that God doesn't just call, call out those who are far from him, like Saul. He also calls us, his followers, to be part of his great mission. Like the very first disciples who were just minding their own business when Jesus shows up and says, hey, follow me. I have an assignment for you. But how does Ananias respond to this second lesson? I think just like many of us, the first words out of Ananias's mouth, but Lord, God has just told him to go and lay hands and pray for Saul, which I think sounds like a pretty legit assignment. God says he's even told Saul that a man named Ananias is going to be the one showing up. I mean, if Ananias says no uh, to God here, God's going to have a lot of work to do, right? Because he's going to have to find another person named Ananias to go and accomplish this mission. See, God knew 
This was an assignment uniquely suited for Ananias to complete. You know what? God has assignments uniquely suited just for you and for me. But so often the first words out of our mouth tend to be the same as Ananias. But Lord, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. It's too difficult. It's too dangerous. Can't you just send my pastor? Wait, I am the pastor. Listen, when God calls us out, we can always have an excuse for why it's not a good idea to follow. But remember what we're to listen for when God gives direction. We're to listen for his promise. And that's just what God does here for Ananias. He says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. He's saying here, I promise you, Ananias, that Saul is going to be my messenger. Not only is he not going to be harming you, he's going to write a big part of the scripture that your great, 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 great grandchildren are going to be reading in Santa Maria, California. And if that promise isn't enough for you, Ananias, I'm going to give you another one as well. I'm also going to show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. Hmm, you can just kind of, you can kind of hear Ananias musing. Suffering? You, you said that Saul is going to suffer? Hmm. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll go. So here's the end of the story, picking up in Acts 9, 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. When Ananias followed God's call, this tremendous miracle immediately takes place. I mean, it doesn't even say that Ananias got to lay hands on, on Saul because just immediately uh, when he starts talking to, to Saul, it says these scales fall off his eyes. He can see. Uh, it's this amazing miracle. And if that's not enough, Ananias is the one who gets to baptize one of the most profound Christian leaders in all of human history. I love what Dennis Jordan, one of the pastors here on our team, what, what Dennis says. He says, you never know what's on the other side of obedience. Listen, when God calls you out, follow him. Fruit comes when we obediently follow God's call. Now, there, the truth is there are many voices calling us in many directions. Poets, priests, and politicians, right? They're all clamoring for our attention. 
So we need to tune our ears to the shepherd's voice. Jesus said in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When Saul was called out, he listened to Jesus' voice and followed him. When Ananias was called out, he listened to Jesus' voice and followed him. How about you and me? Remember that we've been called out as well. The church is a community of called out people learning to follow the lead of our shepherd. I want to close with the scripture that we began with. A reminder that we have been called out of darkness to be God's people of mission. Just like Saul and just like Ananias. It was 1 Peter 2.9. It says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your voice. Lord, thank you for the deep and profound questions that you pose to us. Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt? Who do you say that I am? Lord, we say that Jesus, you are Lord. You're over all things. And God, we want to tune our spirit and our spiritual ears to hear your voice. Because Lord, we know you will speak to us through your word and you'll, you'll even speak to us through others. So God, we want to, to listen closely to your spirit's voice. Jesus, we will say yes. We will follow as you lead. When you call us out, God, we don't want to make excuses. We want to be people who courageously say, here I am, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, church, you are called out, people. Called out of the darkness into his light so that you can show the goodness of God to others around you. So don't just be called out once. Call out others that they can join you in this journey with Jesus. Your love church, looking forward to next week, our live stream service on September 16th. Join us.